Welcome again to Chi Alpha tonight, you guys. My name is Melissa, and I'm on staff here, and just excited to get into our message. Can you guys believe, since, reminder, there's no Chi Alpha next Tuesday, go home. Um, we only have one more message after tonight in our Anchored series. We are almost done with fall quarter. Don't freak out. It's been good. But yeah, we're almost done with our series on Anchored, as we're talking about what are some different things that we, as disciples of Jesus at Central in 2021, should really root and anchor our lives in? And it's been awesome. You guys enjoyed the series so far? I mean, it's almost done, so hopefully. So tonight we're going to be uh, talking about being people who are anchored in prayer. I think the prayer is the word that most people are familiar with, like even outside of the faith, like discipleship or fellowship or other ship type Bible words are maybe like not quite as familiar to people. Um, but Everybody has at least some concept of prayer, right? At least something that they think prayer might mean. What do you think of when we say prayer? In our country, I wonder if we think of prayer as like a nice gesture or like a polite formality before eating a meal or sometimes a substitute for action, like when somebody says, my thoughts or prayers are with that thing, but we like sometimes wish there was some action that could go with it too at times. Sometimes I see people, um, especially people who aren't following the Lord, like on social media post about some challenge or health issue in their lives, and they ask for like thought, positive thoughts and prayers and good vibes to be sent their way. And I know that I'm old, but that like always makes me pause and wonder, like first of all, how do you send good vibes their way um, geographically? But then also like, do people think that prayer is equivalent to like good vibes and positive thoughts? Um, I don't. I don't know if positive thoughts or good vibes have ever like healed somebody's sickness or like brought a broken relationship back together. But to me, prayer is in a completely different category than those things. But I know that I'm old and not a vibes person. Um, but do most people think that they're the same thing? I'm just, I don't know. Or like in traveling to other countries in the world. Like going to Vietnam with Tony's family. We've stood at like Buddhist temples and just watched countless masses of people take their shoes off and go up and light incense to pray. Jonathan's feeling that from his upbringing. Um, anyways, and like my heart just stood watching that and just feeling frozen. Like, I was just frozen, feeling, like, broken, watching people with real needs and real fears and real desires and, and things going on pour out those efforts on something that doesn't hear them. And I say this with compassion because my husband, Tony, was Buddhist before he came to Jesus um, freshman year, but, like, that whole experience is, is just seems to be ruled by superstitions and fears, um, and it's, it's not relational. There's no, like, guarantee of a response from Buddha or, like, people leave with the same sort of questions that they came in with, um, I'm told from talking to Tony's family. So that's like one experience that I've seen that's kind of like broken me on, on one experience of prayer, like going on a mission trip to the Middle East. Guys, it is so different to be in a country where like a call to prayer is like blaring on loudspeakers on top of mosques at set times all through the day and night. When we got back to Ellensburg and I went for a walk, it like struck me like, what's so different? And I was like, it's so quiet here because <laughs> I've been used to like, I'm not going to try to do it because it would probably be horrible and possibly offensive. But um, just like this, this call to prayer and you see people just like flood into the mosques and take off their shoes and kneel down and like go through these motions. And, and again, what I'm told, though I haven't obviously experienced it, is they still kind of leave with the same amount of fear that they came in with because my understanding is there's no way to know until they die if they like got as many good points as bad points or if they, they earned enough... Um, to be able to be accepted by, by their God. And so, like, being in a city in the Middle East with this call to prayer blaring all times throughout the day and night and seeing people respond, my heart ached 
in a similar way um, of just wishing that there was a sense of assurance they could have, that they were, their prayers were heard and that they were accepted. So anyways, the reason I'm sharing some of these various things that I have seen, whether it's being an old lady who's grumpy about vibes on Facebook, or just like seeing other, other faiths and other countries and people responding in a certain way, um, I just am bringing this up because I think that our concepts about prayer, it just really boils down to like what we believe about God. Because I can remember times in my own life where I believed God was too busy holding you know, like the universe together, um, that I shouldn't like bother him with my pathetically small problems. Kind of like classic older sibling right here. Not kind of, I am like literally classic older sibling. Like I gotta put my concerns on the back burner, put my needs on the back burner, and not like overburden God, you know, as if I would like tip the plate over or something. Um, and at those times in my life, my prayer life was like pretty weak sauce and pretty insecure. Seeing a few nods, not saying you relate with that, but I'm seeing nods. Um, but I can also remember times where, like, God has answered a prayer right before my eyes, like, right before my eyes, seeing somebody get healed or seeing an answer come through that was impossible five minutes ago. Um, and just how much I got filled up with faith that, wow, he is real. He hears us. He does care. He is so big. And that just, like, built up my faith to pray more. And, like, reading the Bible, I've read story after story and seen events play out in my own life that confirm those truths showing that prayer to the living God is a super different experience than those other realities that I described earlier. Because prayer isn't just a nice formality before a meal or something that we have to go into with like superstition or not to mess it up or whatever, um, or like impersonal fear or no two-way communication. Um, being anchored in prayer to the God of the Bible, we see that prayer has healed all kinds of sicknesses. It's raised people from the dead. It's worked countless miracles. It's made the sun stand still for like a bonus day in the middle of the day. Read about that for a while, maybe on finals week. Um, it's like changed the minds of political leaders, made God's name glorified in super crazy situations over thousands of years, different countries. It's just amazing. But why does prayer work? Prayer is literally communicating with the living God, the creator of everything, the one who holds everything together and sustains all things and works everything together for his good. Prayer isn't like a vague action or empty motion that's disconnected from relationship. Prayer works because God works. Prayer works because God works. He's, he's active and moving in our world. And it's relational because God is real and he's listening to us. And he's invited us to know him and work with him in changing this world through prayer and through obedient action. So as we dive in tonight, let's get those Bible pastors going. If you guys need a Bible to follow along, um, just put your hand up. Is the Bible me, please, symbol? And you can take one as our gift to you. And we're turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So that's just one passage in the Bible where God himself talks about prayer um, to his people, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. <laughs> Go ahead, Jackson. Anyway, so as you guys are turning there, 2 Chronicles 7, so obviously we're like coming into a lengthy and complex and nuanced narrative, just like partway through, we're just dropping in. So for a tiny bit of context, um, at this point in God's redemptive history, David's son Solomon is king over God's people of Israel, and he had a pretty tight relationship with God. Solomon and God had a pretty tight relationship. And we're coming into the story where Solomon has just built this magnificent temple, um, and he, he's just dedicated this temple with like a super bomb prayer for God's presence to dwell in and for the people to come worship God in. And that night, God shows up and talks to Solomon, and we're going to pick up the story right there. Second Chronicles 12, verses 
Nope, 2 Chronicles 7, verses 12 through 16. It says, The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said, I have heard your prayer, see chapter 6, and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So God has instituted this thing of prayer where he invites us humble, created people to talk to him, to God, the sustainer and creator of everything, the one who sees the future as if it's today. I don't know why, but he set it up so that we humans would interact with him through prayer. And far from being some meaningless or arbitrary interaction, it actually makes a powerful difference in our world if and when and how we pray. So God's created us for his glory, right? We talked about that some this quarter. He intends for us humans to be his partners in bringing his kingdom to this earth and in, in glorifying his name. Um, you guys know we've looked at this quarter at verses like Genesis 1, 26 to 28. We've looked at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Great Commission, 2 Corinthians 5, um, Kyle passage. All of those talk about how God's designed our role as humans to be his partners, his co-workers, helping bring his kingdom to this planet and helping unfold his redemptive plan. And prayer is a big way of how we do that. So tonight we're going to explore two aspects of prayer that I noticed in the Second Chronicles passage. First is abiding with God, and the second is changing the world. So first, abiding with God. In verse 14 of that passage, we see that God describes our identity. We are his people, the people that are called by his own name. And from that identity, God desires that we would turn away from our own ways, our own pride, and turn to him, choosing to seek him, longing to be in his presence and talk to him. It's incredible that God invites us to be in his own presence, you guys. The, the God of ages, the, the one most high, he invites us to come hang out with him and be in his company, to know him. That's what abiding basically means. We are plugging into God's presence and hanging out with him. Um, we're seeking him and talking to him. We get to know God better through that. And we discover new things about the Lord. And as a byproduct of abiding, we ourselves are changed um, through being in his presence. Is this dynamic, ever-evolving, real relationship. The more we spend time abiding with God, the more stuff we learn about him. And then the more that we're changed by him, and the more that our conversation and relationship with him continually changes. So the best real-life example I could think of was this one time I got married. To Tony Wynn, specifically. Where are you at, Tony? There you are. Um, anyways, we've been married nine and a half years now, which is kind of a lot of time, but not compared to others, so, you know. Choose your adventure if you think it's a lot of time. But anyways, through nine and a half years, as you can imagine, we have spent a lot of time together. And I have changed through being married to him. And I think he's probably changed being married to me. There's probably a lot of ways that I've changed, but the number one that comes off the top of my head is I have become noticeably more nerdy. <laughs> Before I married Tony, friends, I was blissfully unaware of, of words like Magic the Gathering or, or Super Saiyans, or anime, or Minecraft, or Zelda, or Battlestar Galactica. I mean, how much time you got? These things used to be just words, just words that I didn't even necessarily like, that I could just happily ignore and live my relatively less nerdy life. And yet, over the past nine and a half years, 
Not only have I watched her play all of those things and more, but we've reached this point of just regularly summing up our nerd dynamic as saying, I merely adopted the nerdiness, he was born into it. Which is itself, of course, a parody quote from Batman. So there you go. But anyways, the more time I've spent with Tony, the more I've learned about him and his interests and the things that he knows about, a vast majority of which are, in fact, nerdy in nature. He knows about non-nerdy things too, but a lot of nerdy things. Um, and the more that I've learned about these things and accidentally come to appreciate them, the more I have changed. And our conversations have picked up more nerdy vocabulary, analogies we use about how we're feeling about life or parenting, sometimes do borrow analogies from Dragon Ball Z or Star Wars or the MCU. And obviously those mutual interests have like developed into how we spend our time together because we just watch nerdy stuff and talk about it. Um, like Shang-Chi and Dune this weekend, it was awesome. Um, so anyways, as an aside, if you are like completely 100% against becoming nerdy, you might possibly want to add that to your non-negotiables list. <laughs> but if not, hey, the water is great. So anyways, that is just one example that the more time we spend with somebody close to us, the more we start being changed to be like them. I feel like guys are like, oh, there's hope, and then girls are like, I don't know how I feel about this. Anyways, <laughs> and the more that our relationship grows and evolves as we have more stuff to talk about and spend our time in those ways. So, back to Jesus. Abiding with God is very similar and quite less embarrassing. Everything that we discover about him unlocks a new way that we can relate with him and a deeper way we can um, respond to him. So, for example, you might read a story in the Bible, like if you're reading through the Gospel of Luke or John or something, and see Jesus, as he does many times, like sticking up for the poor and marginalized against the powers that be that are oppressing them. And you might be like, oh, I didn't know that about you, God. I see you. That's cool. And then the next time you see something on the news or have like a burden on your heart about some um, certain marginalized people group or something, you can pray, like connect with God instantly in faith. Pray to him about that thing because you literally just learned God's heart already cares about them deeply. He already takes that seriously, seriously enough to stand up to the religious leaders on their behalf. Like you learn something about God, now you can abide with him as a reflex about that. Guys, God's character is so deep and faceted. We'll literally never get bored of discovering him. I can promise you, almost 30 years into following Jesus, it never gets boring because he is so infinitely fascinating and glorious, and there's always more to learn about him and grow in him. It's such an exciting journey. Okay, so the abiding aspect of prayer really helps us express and develop how we know God. We pray based on whatever we know so far, and then God does things, and he answers, and we experience more of his love, and then we grow, and we get to learn more stuff about him. Um, and then also, our heart's going to become his heart, too, or his heart will become copy-paste to us. And if you're, like, newish to this whole praying thing, or to, like, knowing Jesus, that's awesome. It's totally okay to just pray based on wherever you're at right now and what you know currently. Don't worry about fancy words or sounding exactly like somebody else in core or whatever. Just express what you already know about him, even if it's two things, talk to him about those, and then keep growing and building from there. Um, talk to him like he's sitting right next to you or like you call your mom or something like that. Um, an example from the Bible that we can look at for this is Moses. And I love this passage, Exodus 33, verses 7 through 17. We're not going to read it tonight, but I'll kind of sum it up. Um, so Moses is like a super big deal in, back in the day. Um, he was like the leader of God's people, helped like lead them out of slavery in Egypt and leading them as they were first being defined as a nation um, after captivity. They had so much learning to do about who they are to be as God's people. 
So anyways, this passage, Exodus 33, says that Moses had a routine of taking a tent and pitching it outside of the tent, uh, outside of the camp, the camp where the whole nation of Israel lived, like a million people or something. And he pitched a tent away from the busyness of normal life. And he called it the tent of meeting, where anybody could go and meet with God. And Moses himself had a habit, a practice of going and meeting with God in the tent of meeting. And God's presence would dwell with him there. In those days, super cool, God made his presence visible in like this giant pillar of cloud. I have no idea how big it was, but it says big. So it's probably very big, and God is big. So this big data, like pillar of cloud, sorry, that's a parenting term. Um, God's pre- God would make his presence visibly come and dwell over the tent of meeting when Moses was going to, to talk to God. Um, so when Moses went out to like the tent of meeting to meet with God, I probably should have just read the passage at this point because I'm talking so much. Um, everybody in Israel would just like stand at the entrance of their own tent and just watch as Moses went and walked to his tent, to the tent of meeting, and God's big cloud came and hovered visibly over, over that. And so everybody knew plain as day. As Moses went to meet with God, God for sure showed up to meet with Moses. And verse 11 says that God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And in the following verses, you can eavesdrop on Moses and God's conversation. That's the cool thing about reading the Bible, lots of eavesdropping. Um, because of the time that Moses faithfully had logged in God's presence over all those meetings and all the ways that Moses was changed through that abiding time, Moses has the guts to have like a risky conversation and ask God for something really big. And this tells me the more that Moses gained God's heart through abiding and spending time with God, the more he prayed for like real big deep things that super pleased God's heart to answer. So Moses shows one good example of what people who abide in prayer look like. Through communing with him, we get to know God's heartbeat, and his heartbeat eventually becomes our heartbeat. And we get to learn about his heart and his thoughts and mission and intentions, and we can start talking to him about what things um, we know he cares about. So when and where is your tent of meeting? How can you abide and talk with God? Do you have a space or a part of your life where you can like intentionally break away from the normal um, to just go focus on God? It doesn't have to be a literal tent, though I mean, you could do that if you like that sort of thing. One thing that I've learned through being human is that like all of us humans are so unique and we have cute different little brains which makes relationships very interesting, fun and hard, right? Um, So that means that everybody's brain is different, so everybody's tent of meeting sort of deal might look a little different. So for example, my, my pal Haley, I've never called you pal before, but anyways, my pal Haley, She loves getting up before anybody else is awake in her place, in her house, and just sitting in her living room with her journal and her Bible, meeting with Jesus every morning. That's a good morning for her, and I love that. For me, sometimes I can do that, but I sometimes get distracted by this, like, phone that's there. (laughs) By the way, phones probably aren't very helpful in a tent of meeting, so you maybe just should leave that. Um, Or I get distracted by seeing, like, 50 things that I need to do around the house. So sometimes I've learned I just got to go outside, leave the phone, and just like go for a walk or go for a run, and that's how I can reliably connect with God. So for me, once my feet get moving, my brain gets focused. I don't know why, it's just me. Um, I know that during the pandemic phase last year, Nancy loved going out of her house to Weiniger's to pray and have her God time. Weiniger's was Nancy's tent of meeting. Um, Brenna, I didn't ask you if I could say this, but I'd be probably cool with it. Brenna does regular prayer walks at certain times that she's like developed into a routine. And Brenna loves her prayer walks and looks forward to those at her schedule. And, and she loves that. And she, I love what she tells me about her and Jesus' conversations on her prayer walks. Um, I was talking with Maddie Kay yesterday, and she mentioned she prays every night when she's laying in bed right before she goes to sleep. Every night, she doesn't go to sleep until she prays and talks to Jesus. 
and she has this habit she's formed of like always thanking God for something and asking God for something. I thought that was super cool. Sorry I didn't talk to any guys about their prayer habits. I was busy. I just went with what I knew from the girls I mentor. But I dare you, men, ask each other. You saw Moses' idea. I bet you go find some cool ideas if you ask each other um, how that works for you. So I don't know what's going to work for you and your exact brain, but I would invite you and challenge you to team up with your brain, work together, collab on like, hey, how can we meet with Jesus in an intentional way given our situation to develop that relationship? One last thing that I saw in the, in the Chronicles passage in regard to abiding is that a bunch of life circumstances were involved. Like we saw drought, we saw locusts, we saw plagues. I haven't really gone through any of those things. Um, but the great thing is that the things that we learn about God and know about him, they are applied to the circumstances that we face, whatever they are. It's not like our circumstances are the big consuming hurricane thing and then us and our relationship with God gets swallowed up and bounced around like in a dryer or something. That's a lot of metaphors. Um, but it's not like we become victims of the circumstance. It's like God is constant and our relationship with him is secure. And what we know about him gets applied to every circumstance that we go through. But he is constant. He's the big thing. Our circumstances are pretty small, um, even if they don't feel like that. And we don't have to carry around this tiny checklist of what things are prayerable for. Like Chronicles, we saw prayer, 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 dial one for no rain, dial two for locusts, dial three for plague. That's it. Um, definitely not. The emphasis isn't on our circumstances. The emphasis is on turning to the living God in whatever we face. Being anchored in prayer means turning to Jesus all the time. We turn to Jesus all the time. We remember who God is. We remember his character, his compassion, his power. And we can approach his throne in any circumstance that we face. Because life can bring so much stuff, right? Some of it's fun. Some of it's not fun. Some of it's just straight up confusing. But my point is that abiding with God stands up to every trial and circumstance we face. Because God is constant even when our situation is not. So rather than overthinking, we should turn to prayer. Rather than worrying, our reflex should be abiding, worship, spending time with God. Even last Tuesday when I was literally sitting down to try to write this message, I was super stressed out with a million to-dos like pinging around in my brain. I was like, so much to do that week I couldn't even put it on a list. Um, I was just overwhelmed and I sat down trying to like hammer this message out and I thought, this is a good thing about being a pastor slash Christian. Anyways, I was like, am I seriously going to let stress drive me in writing a message about prayer? So then I closed my computer and talked to Jesus and was like, okay, here's my thoughts, here's my feelings, here's what I'm going through. I'm so small. And he started just giving me peace bit by bit and, and calming my brain bit by bit. As I submitted to him, he helped me write this message more like a Christian than as a do-it-yourselfer. Being anchored in prayer means we turn to Jesus all the time. We turn from stress to abiding in Christ. We turn from worry to worship because he's present with us all the time. We start to notice when we're really good at overthinking. If you're like a really good overthinker, you can just like awkwardly wink because you're probably distressing. Um, we learn to notice, oops, I'm overthinking. Maybe I've thought enough. Maybe my brain has maxed out. Now I'm going to talk to the God of ages who knows everything. Maybe prayer is more helpful than thinking about this through a thousand more times. We learn to turn to Jesus all the time in every situation. Okay, our second point is changing the world. So some followers of Jesus kind of mistakenly think that the Christian life is kind of like daycare. Like once we give our lives to Jesus, we're enrolled, we get set in this safe little place space and told to just be good, wait patiently, stay out of trouble, try not to make too, try not to make too big of a mess until our daddy comes to get us. But that image is like the farthest thing from the picture that the Bible paints, right? Rather than being idly set in this sterile space, 
God intends for us to climb down in the trenches with him, to get down and dirty at work with him, to step into the project room, to, to jump in the co-pilot seat. God invites us to be in the place where decisions are made and, and where world-changing actions are formed, to work with him in his mission to bring this kingdom to our earth. So out of knowing who he is through abiding, out of experiencing his love, we also get to share in his purposes for the world. We find ourselves not just talking casually in a coffee shop with Jesus, but also holding the hand of the one who holds the pen of history. Because to, to pray is to believe things can change. God has called us to be involved in the unfolding of his eternal purposes and in the writing of the future. God tells us to pray because he's committed that we would be his partners in changing the world, that we would have a, a meaningful role. We see that in our Second Chronicles passage as God promises Hey, when you guys humble yourselves and seek my face and pray about your circumstances, locusts and all, I will hear you, and I will heal, and I will work. He also says that his eyes and ears are always attentive, and his eyes are open to us, his people, as we pray. Some of us think the world just like kind of locked and loaded on this unalterable track, but that's really not the picture the Bible paints. Um, many of the prayers that we read about the Bible, people who prayed, they, they prayed that their words could and would make an objective difference in the world. Just one tiny example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, that we are God's co-workers. We're his co-laborers. If we lay down our life to join Jesus' life, we are now working with God to determine the outcomes of events. We pick up the pen of the future with our prayers. And one biblical example of how God's people live as his co-workers with the power to really intervene is Daniel. We're doing a lot of Old Testament um, peeps today, but Daniel was this incredible man of prayer in the ancient Babylonian kingdom. And he deeply loved God, and he was passionate in partnering in God's mission. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, Daniel was studying the scriptures, and he had the care to pray this big intercessory prayer to God, begging him to forgive his rebellious people. There's a lot of that in the Bible. Um, and we'll pick up the story in, in Daniel 9, 20 through 23. Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man, also angel, that I had seen in the earlier vision, he came to me in a swift flight around the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. And after that, the angel Gabriel continues explaining the message that Daniel had been praying about. Wow. Um, and then if you jump down to chapter 10, Daniel's praying again. This time he's fasting and mourning. And he sees again a vision of a messenger from God um, who says in verse 12, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. And again, the messenger lays out the current changes of events in the heavenly realms that Daniel's prayers had just affected. Both these passages tell me the same message. As soon as you began praying, your words were heard and things changed. Do you believe that's true? It's incredible to believe that as we engage in prayer, words go out in the spiritual realm and affect action in the heavenly realms. We aren't like tunes to know that stuff, but apparently in Daniel's case, it happens. Um, and, and that can give us so much faith. We participate in the writing and unfolding of events in the world because God has invited us to pray and he hears us and wants us to partner with him. So how do you long to see the world changed? 
as you get to know God's heart through abiding in his presence, what things are breaking his heart in our world today? Could be things as like macro scale as like racism and slavery and sex trade and food inequality, injustice, abuse. Could be things as micro scale as like your widowed neighbor who seems really hopeless or kids in town who don't get enough to eat or something going on in your local school or brokenness in your family. One example for me is um, some of you guys know global missions is like a big thing that through abiding, uh, God has like changed my heart to really love as I spent time with him. And even though my heart's like really burdened for unreached people groups around the world that don't have anybody tell them about Jesus because they can't bump into somebody who's a core facilitator, there aren't any. Um, I haven't always had like a routine of praying for unreached people groups. But last November, um, I actually lost my wedding ring when we took our kids to play in leaves at a friend's house. Leaves were flying, apparently rings were flying, and somehow I lost it. And we obviously searched for it a bunch over that day and the coming days and weeks um, and months. And I prayed for it a lot during that time because it was regularly on my mind. Um, so one night I was praying for my lost ring again and feeling super bad, like more emotional than I normally get because it's obviously a very sentimental object. Tony paid a lot of money. It's not the type of thing that you really want to just lose. Um, you know, keep that in your wisdom bucket for later. Um, but anyways, I was praying. God kind of just like popped into my brain and asked me like how many times had I prayed that day for my lost wedding ring. And I was like probably at least a dozen by this point. It's probably like number 12. I've prayed for it a lot. Um, and then God popped back in with a follow-up challenge. What if you prayed for lost and unreached people groups even more than you're praying for your lost wedding ring? And my heart was like oof with conviction. I don't know if that's a term, but it's a mood. So I was like... I'm going to make that, make that a thing. It was like oof with conviction. I committed to do that. So I downloaded the Joshua Project app, and I was excited that every day they'll say a new unreached people group to pray for. And they give like outreach strategies for that people, particular challenges, give you a verse to pray. Super great. So I started doing that. And I still haven't found my wedding ring yet. We just got this cheaper replacement from Costco so that I would look married again. Um, but I told God like, in tears, I was like, even if I never, ever find my like original wedding ring, if I could help pray one unreached people group into your kingdom, that would be more than worth it. Um, another example is like, in addition to praying for people groups around the world who don't, don't have a gospel witness, we can pray for individual people around us who aren't currently part of God's family to, to come to faith in Jesus. A couple of examples from our Chi Alpha. Kevin, where are you Kevin? There's Kevin. Um, Kevin, let me share his story. And his story is that when he was new to Central like two years ago, um, he saw a flyer for Chi Alpha, like a second week here, um, but he couldn't come because he was working on Tuesday nights. And then eventually his work schedule changed. Um, his boss just randomly changed it. Oh, God. Um, but Kevin was just home on Tuesday night, and then like randomly at 6.45, out of the blue, he just randomly remembered about the church group thing in Samuelson. That was what you said, right? The church group thing. Um, and he found that flyer he'd seen forever ago and grabbed his stuff and went straight to Samuelson. And he immediately met Brayden. I actually don't know where you are, but I'm pointing randomly. Anyways, he met Brayden. They're history majors, the AKA best friends forever. And so he got invited to CORE. And Kevin says he felt a loving, Christ-centered community for the first time in a very long time that night. And he knew where he belonged on campus. And I still remember when the worship team had an open mic, Kevin went up. We were like, who is this guy? And he went up and shared. And, he, and that led Caden and Brayden to both like teaming up to get him to fall retreat that very weekend. Um, he went to Caden's core, went to fall retreat, had a blast, then Kevin's like in. 
And the next Tuesday, he went with his facilitators to pre-prayer before Chi Alpha praying pre-prayer. Um, and when Braden started praying that new people would come to Chi Alpha that night, that God would put in people's minds to come, Kevin was like, it's 6.45. Do you guys pray this every single week? And it hit him that that was the exact time a week ago that out of nowhere, God put in his brain that church group thing, and he came to Chi Alpha. And God simply put it in his brain right when they prayed it at pre-prayer. You guys, it's almost like it works. And as a result, Kevin came back into an active relationship with Jesus, and we're so glad that you're here. Um, Snap for Kevin. Anyways, um, in discipleship class, my other quick story is in discipleship class, so excited that you guys get a chance to take it this quarter, next quarter. Um, over the years, one thing we, we often do is like make a prayer list. So everybody in the class will put down one name of somebody that they know that they want to see come into God's kingdom. And everybody does that, so you get this like pretty sweet, cool list. And then everybody prays for all the names. And one of the girls, Paige, who was in my core that time, she wrote down her close friend, Liv, that she was trying to reach through ROTC. And later that year, Liv gave her life to Jesus. And then next winter, when Liv took discipleship class, because why wouldn't she? It's awesome. And Liv was like, oh, is this the prayer list? I was on this list last winter. Guys, let's do this. And Liv was like stoked about the prayer list because it works. God has called us to pray, friends. And we don't always know how he's going to answer every prayer. Obviously, he is infinite in God. But we do know he's intervened in many impossible situations because his people prayed. So let's pray like our prayers can have a difference in the world and pray for other people and nations that we want to see God's grace come to. So as we wrap it up um, with some applications, the main application is to be anchored in prayer. Let's pray. But for some specifics of ways we can like, grow in being anchored in prayer, turning to Jesus all the time, I have three suggestions. Um, number one is learn to turn to Jesus rather than worry. Not everybody here, but a great many of us, have a pretty solid default of turning to worry or turning to self-sufficiency or human effort when we face something hard. We try to just like human effort our way through it or overthink it to the extreme. What if we prayed more than we worry? Do you think anything bad would happen if we didn't overthink it quite as much? Do you think anything bad would happen if we didn't worry quite as much? Would anything good happen if we prayed? What if we like dug out a whole new neural pathway that when we face something hard, we turn to Jesus rather than reflex to worry? Maybe you could help yourself by posting a helpful verse about prayer on your laptop or your mirror or your phone or lock screen or something. I just have three suggestions of verses for you if that would be helpful that I just randomly thought of last night. There's a lot more. There's a whole Bible. Um, but three of them, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. James 5, 13 through 16 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church or their whole corps to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they sin, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Second idea is to pray with other people. Core groups. There's other people in your core, right? I'm pretty sure, otherwise it's just, just you. Um, praying with and for other people is like a great way to start greasing the wheels of prayer. When somebody in a one-on-one -on -one or in my core shares a need, 
like all my care for them like wells up in this desire to like approach the throne of grace with for their need care should translate to prayer and to other ways of helping too um so practice praying in your core tell your facilitator yo we need to pray more i'm sure they can take it they probably like that i don't know second corinthians 1 8 through 11 is a cool passage um that illustrates this so paul apostle paul He's in like this intense situation with all of his traveling buddies, and, and he was writing to a, a church far away um, in Corinth about um, the troubles that they were going through, which were far beyond their ability to endure, he says. But he writes this to the faraway church. On God we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many people will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. I kind of have to diagram and dissect that last part, but basically my theory is God wants a lot of people to pray for somebody's need because then when the need is answered, the prayer is answered, a bunch more people get their faith built up. A bunch more people multiply their praise to Jesus when that prayer is answered. That's my theory at least as I've tried to figure out what on earth Paul is saying. And also, it's often easier for me to have faith in God for like somebody else's need. Like when a girl is sharing something that they're going through, and I just am praying for them, sometimes God will like turn the light bulb on in my brain and be like, yo, do you hear the words and theology that you are praying? It's good. Don't you think that I might like to do this in your heart too? And I'm like, uh, yes, I am going through this exact same thing, but I didn't think to pray about it. Um, maybe these things are true. So as we pray for others, yeah, God will help us. So pray in your core. Last is pray on your own. There's tons of ways to do this. You can talk to God out loud, it's a little easier to not get your brain just like wandering if you're just thinking prayer. You can write your prayers in a journal. The bonus is you get to go back weeks later and months later and see all the prayers that God has answered. You could do a pre-written prayer, like the morning prayer, and, and disciples make more disciples. Take a picture of that. Pray that every day for two weeks, see what happens. You get a world map and pray with sticky notes on different like parts of the world, or get the Joshua Project app, like I mentioned. Or you could try following a formula like Taco's prayer. Whoa, Ethan, that was so extra. Thank you. <laughs> I just thought it was going to be a picture of a taco, so that was good. Um, yeah, so tacos prayer is just if you're like, man, what should I do right now? Pray. T, start with Thanksgiving. Just thank God for something that he's done in general for all of humanity or something he's done in your own life. Um, a, adoration. That means just telling God amazing things about who he is. It's not us. It's not like, thank you for doing this for me. It's like, you are this way. Your character is self-contained and glorious, and I'm just going to appreciate who you are. C is confession. It's where we can confide in God something that we're struggling with or a sin we need to turn over to him and like ask for his help to conquer. O is others praying for other people, as we previously talked about. And S is praying for yourself. Probably by the time you get to that point, you have an even better idea of what to pray for for yourself. Um, yeah, so, and then the last suggestion is to find different places where you can pray, the tent of meeting thing. So are you going to pitch a tent? Are you going to pray in a favorite coffee shop? Go for a long drive, pray in the shower, find a nice spot on campus. Where is your spot going to be that you can focus your brain just on Jesus? Remember, no phone. Um, unless you're using Joshua Project app. Okay, as we super close now, what is God highlighting for you from all these ideas? I really want to encourage you guys and challenge you to consider what is Jesus saying to you? Write down one or two that you're going to plan to grow in this week. Let's be a community anchored in prayer, learning to turn to Jesus every time. And let's dig into really changing this world that, like, needs some change as we engage in prayer. 
So as the worship team comes up right now, we're going to transition to responding to God. And I just am going to encourage you guys, send you right into time to just look over your notes and reflect with God, hashtag abiding, on what he's teaching you, what he's challenging you to do. And let's reflect for a little bit and then turn to responding with God.